Hello and welcome everybody to the Father, the Daughter, and the Holy Podcast. Join my father and I as we discuss relevant and meaningful ideas and values inspired by the weekly Torah portion. Our goal is to open our discussion to you in the hopes that it will give you something to think and reflect on, as well as be another interesting conversation that you can have with your family, friends, and peers. So let's delve right in. Hello and welcome everybody to the Father, the Daughter, and the Holy Podcast. This week is Parashat Korach, which is famously known for the rebellion that Korach brings to fruition, and he tells Moshe and Aaron, how come you guys get to do all the cool stuff and we don't? Says who? So it's actually funny. It reminds me a little bit of like when kids go like, but why do you get to do that? Why? Why do you get to do that? But anyway... What are we going to talk about today regarding Korach and the fam? Right, so I think it's a very important issue to discuss in light of um, the lack of um, public discourse today in, the, in um, the lack of healthy public discourse in the world that we see, at least, um, it doesn't seem to be something that um, people feel is beneficial, healthy, important. Um, I think arguments are considered something like a, a necessary evil sometimes because what can you do? People have different points of view. So, you know, you can't squelch everybody and just have everybody go along with the same thing. But but really, it's just better if people would just keep their opinions to themselves. It's kind of a weird, if you think about it on a, on a larger scale, on a global scale, of course, it's impossible to avoid. But, um, you know, debates and, you know, discussions of things that are very, very meaningful and important for society. But for some reason, there are... There are um, there are forces and there are opinions and there are uh, those that would, let's say, represent the cancel culture of today that don't want public discourse to become public, really. They just want you to have your own position and keep it to yourself and they think that everything can be kept into the private sphere. But in the public sphere, like, everybody just danced the same tune. You know, everybody should just, everybody should just walk the walk and forget about it, Right. It seems that way. If people are being accused of that, certainly what we do see is a lot of avoidance of real issues, of talking about real issues, and a lot of screaming each other down, um, and not a lot of meeting of the minds where you could actually watch a debate and watch how people's thinking actually uh, gets changed you know, in a positive way or moves in from one direction to another in a healthy way, you just kind of see people screaming at each other. Um, you know, programs that you can... My mother always says she loves watching The View, <laughs> which is basically, to me, I once took a glance at it, it looks like a, a bunch of women screaming at each other all the time. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't see a meeting of the minds there. I see just like a lot of... like. Once it gets to a point where a person has a strong belief, they're either too um, coy or, or too uh, withdrawn to really bring it out and argue it all the way through, or they're so taken by it and they're so convinced that they're right that they just won't hear anything else. They just scream, scream everybody else down. And it becomes a screaming match and people get emotionally involved. And a lot of times there's not a lot of thinking going on. There's just a lot of feeling a lot of what you feel, um, and because I feel strongly about this, so I'm not interested in hearing any other position because you're just wrong, and if you're going to try to convince me about it, that's even worse, because who are you to even try to convince me? I mean, you're taking a, you know, uh, an elitist position that you're, you're right because you're trying to convince me of a different, you know, of a different truth or of a different position. You know what I'm saying? So the whole... Uh, the whole um, idea of debate is actually quite put in question. Why would we debate anything? If you have your own position, just keep it to yourself. What's the point of debating me? You're coming from a, a, 
uh, a given that you're right and you're going to try to convince me, right? That's if you, if you take that position. So then, of course, nobody's really interested in getting involved in a debate because it's not about finding truth together. It's about me telling you that you're wrong and that I'm right, and it's all about um, you know power play and egos. So, so one second. So you're 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 proposing then that in the world we live in today, we're all faced with the, with this reality, which is the fact that we've stopped understanding, especially by our leaders, and we're not seeing from our leaders what it means to actually have a conversation, what it means like to be able to bring our thoughts and opinions and beliefs to the table, and be open to hearing both sides and be looking towards finding the the truth, meaning. You're saying that at this point we find ourselves with leaders and with culture and with beliefs that, uh, that say that it's not right to come forward with strong beliefs. Um, and if you do, then there's an expect, there's, there's, a, there's, a, um, there's a manner that we've created which is one of not listening, not being open, being closed off and being very, very forceful about how our truth is the truth and that there can't really be another truth. There are channels of, of conversation have been shut down. Mm -hmm. I, think, I think a lot of that has to do with the over-hyper-politization of issues. So Everything's a hot topic. It could be hot, but it, when, when you involve politics, then you involve an amount of pressure um, that people can't handle. It's instead of me and you talking about something, it becomes me as if I represent the entire country, for example, about this issue. Oh, and, that's an interesting point. But I feel like stakes, everything's everything's like that at this point. I feel like everything's political. It's not yeah. like you're involving like a political. It's like everything is I'm political. Saying everything is over politicized. So pe people have been like you know jolted out of their you know obscurity into platforms like twitter and other platforms like that where where you know a politician a senator comes across with some kind of a position and all of a sudden you joe schmo from massachusetts you know you're also chiming in to what the senator said and <laughs> You know, and then you'll take on anybody who has a different position and it becomes very uh, segregated, becomes very partisan, like what your position is, because because all of a sudden, instead of just having a conversation about something, let's say, that's in the news, like, I don't know, abortion or something big like that, you're already like, we can't give an inch. I can't give an inch to you, even though our conversation is pretty much insignificant because we're just two people we don't have any power but i'm my voice i feel is so much you know louder than it actually is and i'm you know aligning myself with all of these politicians who you know at the end of the day need to make decisions for the entire country so i don't even have any room for you to make any other decisions i like my position is just so important that it needs to stay what it is otherwise uh you know the whole our, our whole party will fall apart. I mean, I don't know exactly what goes on in people's minds, but but basically the idea of just like slugging out um, a, a concept, an idea, a position with somebody else and being ready to be wrong and, and being ready to be vulnerable about what your position is, hmm. at the same time taking a strong position because you are arguing it on the basis of what you think is logical. I mean, of course, you could always use the, well, this is what I feel, but what you feel is not going to really change the other person's position. I mean, a person could feel bad for you. A person could be more empathetic because he can see now there's another person in the world who's really touched by whatever position you hold about abortion, let's say. So, but that shouldn't really affect his position. I mean, the position should be based on some kind of an argument, right? Um, I just I've felt for many decades that the, the in the, the public sphere there's just very very little room for that. I was giving a class in uh, in law in a law school in, in, in even in South America for some time, and there was just even there in America for sure it's like very much so that 
the, even in universities where there used to be the place where you know you can search for truth research research truth at least you know write uh, mm -hmm. have have places have a place where there's open debate about ideas and not feel that you're you know in the adult world yet so to speak where you know your positions you're held accountable for in a much more public way you're a student in a university and you're trying to figure what life is all about and you can have open debates with other people and now all of a sudden it's totally shut down it's totally shut down it, people don't even want to go there even though people might be interested in doing such a thing even people that are open-minded but that open-mindedness has become um a position itself like i'm open-minded Mm -hmm. and, and, all, and therefore and therefore, we're not even going to debate this because if you're going to debate it and you're, you, it's going to get hot that you're going to want to convince me I'm not going to convince you that's not open-minded that's the, the whole endeavor of, of trying to of trying to debate issues in order to get to a greater truth through the the uh, the, 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 synergy, the synergy of the, of the argument is like it's it's just it's, it's lost. I find that it's totally lost. You don't find it anymore. There used to be debating teams in university. Mm -hmm. That was like a thing. Just like being on the football team, you were on a debating team. I I I'd, I'd be curious to know and to look up like how many schools really have debating teams anymore. I'd be curious to know. You certainly don't see it in social media. You don't see any idea of uh, of of welcoming you know public debate. Unless you're in a conservative, you know, or unless it's it's like a it's a showdown fest, in which case it's like the classic you know, prove me wrong kind of thing where it's a little bit provocative, where there's someone with a very strong opinion and he wants to kind of show how everyone else with different opinions is stupid, so they'll invite people to come up and well, then they'll be like, oh, you're stupid. Do that. Conservatives do that. They're not trying to say it depends who, but they're not trying Most to say of them, a guy like Ben Shapiro puts up a thing that says prove me wrong. He has a very strong position, but. I believe that if you have a good point, he'll grant you the point. It's not what what he's trying to fight is the is the is the closed mindedness of people saying like, I think the fact that you're even, you know, have the gall to say that you have a, such a strong position and you're willing to fight anybody about it, is actually wrong in and of itself. Because who are you to do such a thing? Like that is what I'm talking about. That is the shutdown, the shutting down of, of public discourse. As if you're afraid, you're so afraid that you might actually be wrong that you don't even want to go there, which is just cowardless, cowardice, cowardly, cowardice, <laughs> uh, and um, and and then there's the the people who are uh, you know they're so they think they're so so right you know that uh, that they they don't even want to uh, hear what you have to say because they think you're just so so wrong. And even it, and this is the crazy part about it, even though they think you might have deep down some logical arguments, but in the end, not everything's logical. And in the end, we're in a post-truth era. So, so there, you know, that's the even scarier part of the piece that we're talking about, which is what can people come together about if not logic and truth? Those words are already too scary for people. So it's about how you feel. So in other words, I feel abortion is, is correct. I think I feel that women should have the right to do what they want with their body. That's what I feel. And, and, I, and to the extent that I've thought about it and feel about it, that's what I feel. And I'm not interested in hearing what other people have to say because why would I want to leave that feeling if that's what I feel? I feel strongly about it. And You know what I'm saying? There's like, what are you going to tell me? Something that's going to show that it's really you know, logically, like, killing a little bit more than I thought about, so maybe I'll sway and move to the position that maybe it's not so right after all. I'm not interested. I feel good about myself feeling that this is the right thing. I've already aligned myself with those people, and this is also a dangerous part of it, where it's not people thinking for themselves. It's, again, the hyper-politization. Right. It's a group mentality. It's a group think, like, we have to go along with this. I'm a left Per thinking person, for example, I vote like this. I believe in people that are championing all the rights of everything and everybody on the planet. And therefore, if this is about rights, 
and women's rights, so then I'm with it. I don't want to get into a debate. I'm not interested. It's so interesting because as you're saying this, I, I'm, I'm thinking about how we call... I think we would say that this generation is the most uh, individual-centered generation where the most, most of the emphasis is about you and how you feel and what you believe and what your truth is. Um, and how you identify yourself. It's like a very identity-focused generation that we're living in, which, you know, I don't want to bash it. I think, I think it has its pluses and its minuses. Um, but I think it is interesting, though, that as we uh, speak about what's, what we perceive to be the reality going on, we also see that this individualistic culture is also one of the most... Um, like group-oriented cultures, meaning it's it's a funny place where you're encouraged to be you and you do you and you be yourself and whatever, but you're either in or out. You could be yourself to the extent of which you to the extent to which you fit into the mold. You're either a liberal or a conservative. You either believe in the LGBTQ um, plus community or you don't. Or you you either are open-minded or you're not. So people. I think believe that there's so much space today to be individualistic and to be your own thing and to find your truth. But at the same time, there's actually very little space given and the the boxes are very narrow and they're very small. Um, and you're either in it or you're not. You're with us or you're against us. And I think this is what plays, a, I, I think this is what we're talking about is what plays a big role in that phenomena that you're describing. Because humans haven't changed. I mean, people always, individuals always have their own opinions about things. If they're, if they're more educated, if they're more thoughtful, they're going to have more opinions about things, let's say. And if they're less, they're less, but they're going to have their strong opinions about things. That, that hasn't changed. And they're always, and people, let's say, always look for support and you know, stability in their positions. Nobody wants to feel that they're the one out and, and thinking totally different than the entire world unless they're incredibly strong people. And they Everybody wants convince. to belong. Right. They want to belong. And, and, and so there's, there's, you know, there's always going to be that like type of mob mentality. And I see it all the time and just on a very small, you know, um, way when, when people ha- have complaints about things and about an institution, about a community, about a school the first thing people always say is that's just it's not just me that's that refrain of the it's not just me who feels this way or it's not done this there's way there's this amorphous you know everyone they will always say that this is like this and like that right nobody wants to say this is just me saying this right hmm. that's because, a very scary place to be <laughs> yeah because like they feel like you're not going to take them seriously they feel that like you'll easily ignore them, you know, they want to make their point into something that's much more serious by making, you know, it's very natural to want to, to feel that way, that you're not just doing things alone. But what, what, I'm, what I'm saying is that beyond that is the problem that when there's no point in where people can get together and actually interact, you know, there's no, there's no accepted socially there's no socially accepted place where people can cross-pollinate ideas right you just go into your echo chamber and you spiral it down into it and then come out for air and then spiral back down into it but you're really not interfacing with anything different than what you feel to be true right then you're dealing with a society that's very very fractured and you're dealing with um, a, a, a place that's a very dangerous place to be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, I think it's it's very precarious type of existence because um, people are swayed by things that uh, are, are are not consensus. They they don't really become consensus at all. They just become like you know very based on. Uh, let, let me put it this way. One second, though. Before you go there, I wanted to just bring down what you said. I feel like not everyone is familiar with the term of echo chambers, and maybe that whole example was lost on you, on someone else. But basically... I think they are. 
I've, I've spoken chambers. to people and I mentioned echo chambers and they're like, what do you mean? So just, okay. just to bring it down, echo chambers basically just means in a place where all you hear is your own voice, right? So a lot of times social media, um, the logarithms are built this way where once you like something, once you agree to something, once they see that you like something, it'll just give you more of the same. So you're basically going to be um, locked into this uh, one, one opinion, one voice, um, food chain of thought where you're only going to be bombarded with what you think, with what you believe, with what you agree with, which creates a very radicalized society because people are only hearing and only seeing one part of an argument, one part of a story, only the part of, of the reality that they agree with. Um, so that's what you mean about how it's dangerous because people then are only used to hearing what they agree with, what they believe, and they're not used to being open to seeing other people, other people's opinions. It creates a lot of us versus them. Um, and it's, it's in general very unhealthy. And just a quick point, um, if anyone wants to um, read more about this and how interesting this is and how much danger it is to do the me versus you game, um, Brene Brown has an awesome book called Braving the Wilderness. Um, and it's an amazing book about the, the dangers of radicalization and, and creating these mentalities where it's either or, it's me versus you, it's either me or the highway, it's either you're in this group or you're out of it, how our desire to belong um, really um, plays in our life in, in so many different ways. It's a really amazing book. In general, Brene Brown's books are awesome, but this is just more shyach uh, to the conversation right now. Um, and then I want to hear what you had to say afterwards, but I also think it would be cool if we could bring it into back to the conversation with Korach, because it's you're saying how there isn't really these, these um, two sides discussion and how we could hear other people's opinions, but when you think about the Parsha... <laughs> You have a group, right? Korach is bringing his whole group of people who are like, you know, this is what we believe. This is our opinion. And then they just get swallowed by the ground. <laughs> so I feel like it's not really the epitome of an open conversation. So I guess what it, an interesting thing to, to discuss or to, to think about or maybe just to throw out the question. We may not even get to it. But what's considered then really um, an open conversation? What's considered really... Uh, a healthy, acceptable, open um, dialogue or, or discussion where you bring your opinions and someone else brings theirs opinions and what's what's the limits? Because in this case, we see that, that Korach did bring their opinions and, and then there were really bad consequences to that. So are we learning here that there are different ways to have an argument, that something shouldn't be argued? Like what really here is the main like the meat and potatoes of what we're learning from the Korach story and what we were just talking about, about having real, authentic, truth-seeking conversation. Right. Um, I'm just looking here at a book. Right. This is um, also, once you're throwing book titles out, if anybody wants to read um, a much more in-depth conversation about this issue, is the, the book by Jonathan Sachs called Arguments for the Sake of Heaven. Um, it's it's a it's a better read than I think we're going to be able to provide today, but I would like to say that's the name of the book. It's not not in God's name. No, that's that's that book. Ah, fine. <clears throat> then there's another book. Um, but I I think if we could uh, try to um, round out the conversation to leave us and whoever's listening with a, with a particular concrete idea about what makes an argument argumentable and what makes an argument um, rebellious. Some Rebellious, right, rebellious. Um, of course, a lot of people take from the story inspiration, you know, in a weird way. Of course, if, if, you, if you're not looking at the Torah as a an authoritative text in any way, you're just saying like, oh, this this looks like crushing rebellion, <laughs> like you said. I think those tendencies that to look at the Torah is just like another book. Um, perhaps Reform Judaism, I was reading some articles. They, they, they don't look at Korach's argument as something that looks so bad because it's just questioning the power structure. And uh, and to us, that's that's like almost like mitzvah number six hundred fourteen. You know, that's like you know Jews have been doing that since we know Jewish history. To questioning, exist. questioning, and if some people even ask, well, what's the difference between 
these uh, que- the questioning that Korach and his followers brought to Moshe versus what happened in last week's parsha, where they said, well, there was this mitzvah called Karban Pesach, and we were disqualified from partaking in this, and we want to partake in it. Why should we be different than everybody else? Why should we lose out? Also, the whole idea of Pesach Sheni. Yeah, so they, they were rewarded for that type of questioning and that type of, uh, I guess, rebellion, if you look at it that way. It doesn't, it doesn't smell or look like a rebellion. The question is, why were they rewarded and seen in a good light, whereas Korach and his followers were seen as a real rebellion? In other words, how do you draw the line between what's acceptable, so to speak, in public discourse and what's not? That's, I guess, putting in the context of our conversation. Mm-hmm. So I, I would like to forward the following idea, which is an oversimplification, but I think this is really what's going on in the crux of the issue of, of what's, what's really what we call an argument for the sake of heaven and what's considered to be an argument for the sake of argument's sake. Um. There is, interestingly enough, those um, early commentators and, and codifiers that actually count, based on a Gemara in the Talmud and in Sanhedrin, the idea of uh, being machzik b'machloket, which means machzik b'machloket means um, remaining... Like to hold on? Right, holding on is a probably a better word for it in in, in an argument. Machzik b'machloket over over belosa say that if you if a person is interested in 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 perpetuating arguments eternally, so to speak, I'm throwing in a word. Um, it's actually going against the negative precept in the Torah, of because they see in the some of the wording in this week's parsha that it's a warning forever not to be like Korach and his followers. Right, and there are other comments that you can find in the midrashim and the mishnayot, without without belaboring the 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 part of the source material. I'd just like to say, I think essentially what draws the line between something that's negative and destructive versus something that's positive and like I'm saying, actually essential for a healthy society, is the intent of what it is that you're doing. Uh, getting into this argument if you're meaning. getting into meaning if you're getting into the argument um, because you want to vanquish you want to conquer you want to destroy whatever that may be right but you're not you're clearly not taking into consideration the outcomes of this argument you're not looking at that it should be the best uh, uh, hopefully for for everyone engaging in this argument that's a destructive argument if it's it's a a constructive argument means you're trying to construct you're trying to create a better understanding and consensus through the very hotly uh managed debate of course like we see constantly in the halachic process and starting from way back in the mishnah and the talmud where uh, those that have different you know positions and and very strongly held positions argue till they're blue in the face. I mean, you, you go in the Gemara even, ex, you know, has this metaphor of going into the Beit Midrash where there's, it's a, a hotly contested uh, um, issues are being constantly debated, and it's like going into war. You're going into war. It's like there's two sides. You have a position. You know the other person's position. And you're going to discuss it, and you're going to discuss it until you're, you know, you're ready. To, you're at each other's throats. But when you walk out of the Beit Midrash, says the Gemara, Shalom Besufa. There's always peace in the end, because you went in with that understanding that you're not doing this to be right, and you're not doing this to destroy, and you're not doing this to silence the other person. You have res- mutual respect, and on the contrary. The halacha even takes that so much into consideration. One of the more powerful statements about this issue is that the famous, you know, arguments that were held between two academies, between Shammai and Hillel Academy, the Beit Shammai uh, were much were even considered to be, at one point in the Talmud, more sharp. They were sharper argument arguments from their for hear, being heard from them. They were perhaps more 
uh, in general, just like uh, more, in more intellectual, more, they were even deeper than the ones from Beit Hillel. But the, the position of Beit Hillel was followed because the, the position of Beit Hillel had a different tradition, which was that of being more humble. Now, you'll say, are we mixing piety with law? Well, what does being pious have to do with deciding what the law is? And the answer is, is that we're not. We're actually saying that it's not about being pious, and that's why we're deciding the law like those that are more pious, because they're being more humble. But humility is essentially the most um, important ingredient when a person is searching for truth. Hmm. Because humility says, I'm just as interested in, as you, in your opinion as I'm interested in my opinion. It might take me a while to figure out what I'm saying, which happens a lot. A lot of times people don't have their positions worked out, so they just want to hear themselves until they work it out. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about people who know their positions, and they're just as interested in the other person's position. And on the contrary, it will say that Beit Hillel always insisted that Beit Shammai's position be heard first. Right? And then they would say their position. Which basically means that the reason why the law was decided by him was because since they seriously considered both positions, the most comprehensive law will be the position that takes in, into account both positions. You see what I mean? But that's a tricky one because if you're saying that the, basically the, the point of argument is to come to truth. If both parties come in believing that they possess truth, then it's very hard to, to really be just as interested in what you have to say than what I have to say because I'm already coming in believing that I have truth. Well, if you say it that way, the way you're you know, insinuating, then that, that's not what I'm talking about. I mean, there's a, there's a nice saying in the Gemara where, you know, those that were at odds with each other about particular positions, they would say, Like between me and you, the truth will come out. That's, that's a free uh, translation. But basically... Is huh? What is that language? Aramaic? Aramaic. Aramaic. That means that... Uh, Shmaitza sounds very Yiddish. Well, I don't know exactly how you'd pronounce it in Aramaic, but that's the way we pronounce it. The point is that the, the law will come out between the both of us, which means mm -hmm. it's a synergy. We need, we need each other to figure it out. I have to hear what you have to say. I'm going to hold on. I'm not going to mold... It's, you understand, you have to hold your own because your voice is just as important as the other one. If you decide to just give in in the first moment, so then the law itself and the truth itself will suffer because we haven't heard your arguments till the end. Mm -hmm. We haven't heard what you have to say, right? So sometimes it takes a while to get it out and to, to see how it would apply over here, how it would apply over there, and look at it from this way, and look at it from that way, from this source, and this light. And... You need to get it all out, and the other person needs to as well. And it's not uh, a simple dance to choreograph. choreograph. It's not. It's not. It's, you can see very few people actually doing it well, <clears throat> even in places where it's condoned, right? mm -hmm. and it's looked at, looked at as a, something that's positive. Right? But, but ultimately, it's so important that it needs to be done, and people need to sharpen those uh, abilities to do it. Because what I'm, what I'm saying again is that the, the bottom line between destructive and constructive is basically that. Are you, doing the, are you engaging the argument to take something down, which is the accusation of what Korah was trying to do? He was really trying to take down the structure. Rebellion as rebellion. He wasn't, there to, uh, he wasn't a truth seeker. He wasn't, he wasn't contrived, contrived as a truth-seeking mission. He was there. He felt something strongly, clearly. He felt a lot of different things. He had some good points, right? It wasn't like there was nothing to his argument that he had some very strong arguments. But the argument was coming from a position of truth to the people, right? <laughs> Basically, or power to the people. And he, by doing so, even though there is a place for that, of course, but in the way that he was presenting it, it would have taken down all of the structure that meant anything in the, in the people, amongst the Jewish people, he would have taken down Moshe. He would have taken down the, the entire edifice of, of prophecy. He would have taken with it the whole mm. importance of, of the experience at Sinai and the prophetic nature of the giving of the Torah. 
I mean, eventually that's what would have happened because it wouldn't matter anymore that a prophet speaks. It would mean like, well, let's use our common sense. It wouldn't be revelation anymore. It would be wisdom. It would be like Greek way of establishing hierarchy as opposed to a religious way of establishing hierarchy, which is based on revelation. Hmm. So two points here. One being that I think that you really nailed it bef- like a couple of sentences before when you said that the that in order to really have a conversation that is based on searching for truth, um, no party could come in believing that they have the truth. Rather, I believe that I have found something true and together we will find more truth. But I think we've actually... Comprehensive di- truth. Right, comprehensive truth. I feel like we've discussed this a couple of times actually where we, the, I think you mentioned, if anybody comes claiming that they have the truth, then run. Um... And I think maybe that's that's what we see a lot now. And you also mentioned this aspect of respect, which I think is is a really um, important part, which we didn't mention about why people can't have discourse now because there's no respect for the other party. Because you don't think like me, and because you don't believe that my truth is truth, I can't respect you. Because respect means that there's that I believe that what you I believe that there's something important to you. I believe that what you have has weight. That I believe that you have something important to contribute. And the reality that we have now is that if you do not think the way I think and you do not give validity to the way I feel and to the way I think and to the way I see things and to my truth, then you're garbage and I don't want to hear from you and you stink. And your existence is a, is a, threatening, is a threatening existence to mine and therefore we don't talk, we don't, we don't converse, there's no point, your, your points are invalid and, and you are not a respectable person to be having yeah, a conversation Yeah, then you've already with. crossed the line because it becomes personal. It's completely polluted now. Mm-hmm. The, 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 the air is completely polluted in this area. It's like you have to, people have to strip themselves away, first of all, like I said, from the politicization of everything. They have to strip themselves away from social media. They have to strip themselves away from feeling that somehow a self of, you know, aggrandized self-importance, which is totally not in touch with reality. You know what I'm saying? It's like when, you, when kids walk into your office... Um, uh, you know, if they're if they're if they have to put their position out there in front of other kids, it's totally different than when you have them alone. Or if a child needs to say what he wants to say, or an adult, and he's alone, he'll sound a whole lot different when there's a group dynamic that he has to deal with because he has to save face and he's, and he's already he's already uh, peacock, you know, throwing his peacock feathers out to protect himself and to show that you know it couldn't be and this and he's totally hiding and 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 making sure that he's not going to get hurt in the end it's 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 not an optimum way unless the person's very strong to to hold an argument and that's why all these you know what you see on uh, in, in the public sphere is just it's just you're, you're not going to get real uh, conversation there mm. you know like so I guess the greatest exaggeration of this would be like I don't know a presidential, Elections, oh, yeah, debate. You know, they call it a debate or a presidential debate. <laughs> Those or... are like the most watched <clears throat> down, like throwdowns of life. Exactly, <laughs> and, like, and you're looking at it, and you're like, like you know, man. maybe you're a person who's like really interested. Like, oh, I'd like to know what they hold about, you know, what they believe about, you know, the foreign relation uh, policy of the American the United States. That's the last place in the world you're going to actually know what the policy of the United States is in the, wherever you're interested in. You're you're not gonna you're gonna you're gonna. But you'll know a lot about the mother. (laughs) No, it's become more. It's become Mm. totally. It's degenerated into, you know, mass. It's an insult fest. You know, sound bites. It's it's completely a commercialization of any type of issue that might exist. It's it's the farthest thing from truth that you're gonna get. But you know, somehow representing that you know some kind Mm. of truth that they're talking about. So the, from there on, you know, from that for that trickle effect to down there, like everybody thinks they're Donald Trump and everybody thinks they're Hillary Clinton. Everybody thinks they're, you know, Joe Biden and they're, they're speaking for him and therefore they have to hold the party line. It, whatever. It's more of what we said before. Hmm. So, yeah, what ultimately when I walk in the room, if I want to have a debate with somebody. I'm having a debate not because I think I'm 100 percent right. And I'm interested in convincing you, right? 
It could be we're only human. You know, it could be you're gonna you're gonna have some ego there, and you're gonna want to show that you're intelligent, and you're gonna show that you really thought this out, and that you really worked on it, and that they should take you seriously. And there's a lot of that stuff. You know, it, it's not that easy. People have to be mature. But if people are confident and mature, and they have this desire to work things out, um, because they think that they'll understand their position better, they'll understand the other person's positions be better, and probably between the two of them, even if they're not willing to concede, they're probably going to have more rounded positions once they've had an honest conversation. And they'll also understand that the other person is not the devil incarnate. Mm -hmm. Right? Then you've done an amazing thing. You've created society. Right. But if you haven't done that, if, you, if you're not even willing to go there, like, what does that mean? Mm -hmm. People can't talk anything. Or we're talking about, forget about all the, like, the public you know, displays of this and official displays of it. I'm talking about people complaining that they can't even sit at their dinner table and talk about anything of importance to their lives, right? That somehow might touch on some kind of hot button issue because like you just don't go there. You know, how much, how many times have we read like people couldn't t sit at the same table because, the, you know, they were either like already affiliated with some kind of a part this was a trumpist and this guy was an anti-trump and like and and that was able to split families like what what is that it's like it's only an indication of more, more of an indication of what we're saying that the issues are so vague people then have never fleshed out exactly what the issues are if they actually agree with them if they actually if it actually goes with their you know it's just some kind of a posturing in identity politics type of uh, conversation that makes it totally uh, distanced from anything that should be happening. So even on a micro level, people have lost this gift of public discourse. Hmm. Public, very private discourse, even on a private public. Discourse in general, then. Yes, yeah, discourse. Like why... Mm -hmm. I mean, you look at our shab look at our table of Shabbat, right? I'm particularly thinking about one particular person right now because it irks me what happens when this person is involved in a conversation. But as soon as the conversation takes off and it gets interesting, the person takes it immediately very to a place that's very uncomfortable. The person takes it to a place where it's almost personal. <clears throat> it's like, how could you say that? How could you say that? Just saying that is already closing off the conversation. It's already closing off because that makes people feel bad for having a position. Because it's a personal because attack. It's personal. It has nothing to do with the way you think, but it has to do with the way that you... Yeah, and you. it's not personal. <laughs> as, you know, as Ben Shapiro says, you know, the truth has, doesn't care about your feelings. Uh, it's, it's true. It's not... I mean, we could decide that we want to talk about our feelings, and then we'll talk about our feelings. And I think that should be a separate part of the conversation. But if we're talking about the, you know, the points in favor, the points in con in contra to a particular position, you can talk about it in a way without getting personal, <laughs> you know, and letting it flow and, and just being confident enough to be able to separate a little bit your personal feelings from the issue. That's a very hard one, though, because that requires a lot of vulnerability, which a lot of people, including myself feel very uncomfortable doing because being vulnerable is a very hard thing to do. When you come to a place with a position, right, which is the way, how you're saying it's also the way we believe we belong, right? If I think like this, then I belong to um, a, a group of people who think the same way or my the way I belong or who I belong with will oftentimes be affected by the way I think about things. So coming into a conversation with a willingness to put yourself out there and allow yourself to hear how maybe you might be wrong is a very scary place to put yourself. It, it needs to happen, right? In order to have real conversation and real discourse, then vulnerability is a, is a necessity. But I think that we are all not willing to really let ourselves be vulnerable and therefore it turns into a survival, self-defense, don't touch me or I will hit you. So, kind of, kind of. I, conversation. I remember a time where it wasn't always that way. That's what I'm saying. It's like it, it, it's just 
accepted to be that way. In other words, the human nature hasn't changed, but what's changed is just the a social acceptance of like re- closing conversation, just mm-hmm. to cancel culture, which is just like I don't want to hear you, because it's too I'm too weak to be able to expose, like you said, to make myself vulnerable in that way. I, I mean. If you had a, a personal decision to make, right, and you would want to take take it up with someone, a friend, a family member, just to talk about it, that's, I mean, you're interested in what they have to say, clearly, because you're not sure, you're, you, you know, maybe even you're, you're pretty sure that you want to do something in your life, but, you know, you want to hear what other people have to say, like what they feel, you know, what, I mean, isn't that, mm-hmm. isn't that a healthy thing? So it's... Forget about all these big issues and these, you know, all of a sudden everybody gets swept up in these issues that they, you know, they're not really, it's not really part of their lives uh, uh, on a regular basis. You know, Roe versus Wade is, is, uh, is, you can get all hot about it, but it's, for most people, it doesn't touch that very, you know, that often, at all, if at all. And, uh, and it's just more of like a virtue signaling what, you, what your position is, but you're not really thinking it out. As if it was like a law that you have to deal with and understand, you mm. know, as if it was like, you know, Jews, for example, we, we take these things very seriously, at least from my perspective, because these are all under the purview of what the law should be. So when you study Torah very seriously, you're very curious to know what the law should be. And if you feel the law is being perverted, then you can get pretty incensed about it. Right? Because ultimately we feel responsible that the correct judgment and laws should be uh, applied, on a, even on a larger scale, even on, in, in, a, in a scale that doesn't pertain to us, so to speak, on a, on a national level, if we're living, depending on where we're living, etc. But certainly in Israel, we want the laws that are being, you know, uh, uh, that are being pronounced. They should re- reflect the, the truth that's really worked out, you know, and... Of course, there's all kinds of other considerations when you're passing laws for an entire, you know, millions and millions of people on a country level. But what I'm digressing to about over here is that people come with their own uh, connection to whatever issue is being debated. Sometimes it could be personal. Sometimes you just saying. It's usually personal. Saying sometimes, sometimes it's personal, just a person. I'm saying per, it's, it's even a personal decision that might touch a lot of different things Mm -hmm. that a person wants to discuss with somebody else but even that gets shut down when this there's this attitude in the world of like it's all about hyper individualism ultimately people you know need to forge their own uh way and they need to create their own reality so to speak those are words that you can hear create you create your own reality do whatever you you know from, you get it from every which different every angle that you you search and you and you'll hear and you're bombarded with so hyper individualism does not look for consensus it doesn't look for uh, consensus certainly through debate and through working things out and um, through like a community type of perspective because it's it's messy it's messy when you have to deal with other people's positions. Mm-hmm. Forget about just dealing with a debate between two people. But if you have to like convince a whole community to take on a particular position, you know, it's uh, look at these town hall meetings that some places have. You know, they want to talk about I don't know whether or not they should uh, how how to treat sex offenders. You can read, you know. Some people take this position, some people take that position. I mean, if you can't discuss that, so then people in the community will have to isolate themselves more and more and more if they feel threatened and they feel that there's not even a place where they can talk about it, you know, civilly, then their only option is to move far and farther away from people that are different from them mm. because they feel threatened. I'm saying it affects us on so many different levels. This uh, lack of ability to debate things openly, clearly and healthily it's um, it's definitely worthwhile paying attention to this week's parsha reading to um, develop our own conclusions about how to have healthy arguments. Right. So to so to wrap it up, then um, we're saying that it, in order to really have um, constructive conversations, that we have to make sure that when we do 
have, let's just say the, the, the guts, the bravery to have a conversation because so many of us aren't used to it because we understand that having conversation requires being vulnerable because we understand that we've been um, brought up and we're learning how conversation, um, what conversation isn't really. So we have to really allow ourselves to, to reteach ourselves how to have civil discourse and, and conversation um, so, you know, putting it, putting it out, putting cards on the table, meaning for, for us to look into this parsha and come out with, with the teachings of how conversation requires vulnerability, conversation requires being open to building truth and not, um, a showdown of who has the truth rather of this comprehensive truth. Um, and also, um, being humble, coming into conversations with the hum- with, with humility, and I think it's important to note here that humility, I think a lot of people think of humility and they think of like this person that you step on, like, oh, he's so humble. Like, he, you know, humility, I think could, you could be a very strongly humble person. Like a humble person isn't someone who doesn't have opinions. A humble person is someone who ha- could have very strong opinion, but understands essentially that it's impossible for someone to have all the truth. And everyone is capable of, of finding truth, of seeking truth, and, and having information that you don't possess. So always being open to hearing that. Um, and I get, I want to leave us with a question, because I thought it was interesting, but we don't have time to discuss it now, which is, you mentioned how in order to have also civil conversation, it's about intent. If the intent is to, is to build, or if it's to destroy, to, to bring down. So my question here is, is there ever a time where it's appropriate to destroy for the sake of building? Sometimes there are some things that may be so polluted or so perverse or so wrong, um, but they're, they're buildings, right? You could have societies built on, um, on uh, perverseness, on wickedness, on bad, bad priorities, bad values. So in those cases, is it appropriate to destroy in order to rebuild? That was my question. Everyone can think about it. <laughs> so nice. <laughs> this was today's conversation. Um, if you have questions, thoughts, you know, if you want to write any, any, anything, we're always uh, available on email. We'd love to hear your feedback. Um, and we hope that you enjoyed this conversation and this inspires you to uh, have more conversation and, and show up vulnerably and... Uh, bravely and humbly, curiously. Stay curious, my friends. (laughs) Have a good Shabbos. And that's a wrap, my friends. We hope that our conversation inspired you and gave you something to chew on. Please send us your feedback, questions, comments, topics you'd be interested in discussing, and even triggers so we can generate more relevant and meaningful conversation. You can contact us at fdhp.feedback at gmail.com. And we are wishing you a blessed week and we'll catch you next time.